Father, we thank you for all the reasons we have to give you praise for, for the blessings that you have poured out on us as a people, as, as a society, as a culture, that we have thousands and thousands of reasons to be thankful this morning. Father, whatever, whatever thing we may be going through, whatever thing we may be facing that seems to be overtaking that thankfulness and praise for you, I pray that you would help us to gain maybe a little bit of perspective this morning and to see in light of what you offer, in light of what you bring to us, that, that we are a blessed people and that even though we may be going through trouble, even though we may be going through a storm, that in this morning we have blessings upon blessings upon blessings. And Father, help us to see that this morning. I thank you for all that you've given to me, for all that you provided for my family and how you've blessed us over this last year. And thank you for your hand of provision for us. And just ask that you would be with us in this time this morning. I ask that you would guide my words, that you would help me to say what you want me to say, that you'd help everyone here to hear what you want them to hear and to forget everything else and to go away from this place more in tune with you and what you want us to do. And I thank you that the Buckeyes won yesterday and that Alabama lost. And please let it snow this week. In Jesus' name, amen. And go ahead and have a seat. How are you doing this morning? Well, we're starting a new series called, anyone want to guess what it's called? (laughs) Well, we're starting a new series called It's a Wonderful Life, and um, I knew that we were going to do this series probably from uh, when I first started here back in February because I love the movie. Now, I have to ask a question, though. How many have seen the movie? Okay, that's not too bad. I've been, I've been amazed. Now, how many have not seen the movie? Raise it proud, be bold, be strong. Yeah, I've been amazed at how many people have not seen this movie. It's a classic. Now, I have to confess, when I was a kid, when I was first watching this movie, um, I fell asleep most of the time because it's long and it's in black and white. And when you're not that interested in story... Um, it's easy to, to get a little sidetracked. But I have loved this movie uh, for, for a long, long time. It's been a family tradition of ours to watch this movie every Christmas. And, and uh, in fact, my sister and I, whenever we were, we were little, we actually watched this movie over and over and over again a couple, of, a couple of years. And we would watch it just all year round because we love the movie. So, so It's a Wonderful Life has become a real tradition for our family. And now my wife and I have the same tradition. We watch It's a Wonderful Life on Christmas Eve because that's when the movie is. When it finishes, it's on Christmas Eve, so every Christmas Eve we, we watch it, unless I'm wrapping presents and finishing making presents, and uh, then, we, then we might skip a little bit of it. But, but it's become a great, a great uh, tradition for us. But it's not just a great tradition. It's not just a great movie. It's got a lot of great things in it. So we're going to spend a few weeks kind of going through some of the themes that come up throughout the course of this series. But before we do that, I wanted to have a little bit of fun and see if we could guess a few. So we're going to do a little bit of trivia here. And I want to see if you guys can figure out who said these things. So who said this? Anyone know who said this? Give you a, a list to choose from. Anybody? Who said it? Tommy. Excuse me. Excuse me. I burped. All right, this, one, this one's a great one. 
I've been saving this money for divorce if ever I get a husband. Who said that one? I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of answers, but I still haven't heard the right one. There we go, Annie. Yes, yes, Annie. She brought that in at the end of the movie. Here's a good one. Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. It's the big Charleston contest. Who said that? Nope. Harry, good. Somebody said it. All right. Getting a little serious here. You see, George, you've really had a wonderful life. Who said that one? Clarence. There you go. Good. All right, everyone ought to get this one. Teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Who said that? Zuzu. Good. What? This old thing? I only wear one. I don't care how I look. Violet. Good. Who's, who's getting all these right? Somebody's have to come over and watch the movie. All right. This is a very interesting situation. Who said that one? It was George. Here's a fun one. Get me. I'm giving out wings. Who said that? Nick. Nick said that one. After all, Potter... Some people like George had to stay at home. Not every heel was in Germany and Japan. Uncle Billy, good. Good. George Bailey, what does he want? Who said that one? Nope. Mrs. Hatch, that was my wife. Good job. A toast to Mama Dollar and to Papa Dollar. And if you want this old building alone to stay in business, you better have a family real quick. Who said that one? George, yes. Here's a great one, a little bit of trivia here. Where's my hat? Where's my... Oh, thank you, George. Which one's mine? Uncle Billy. A funny thing to know about this, right after this scene in the movie, when Uncle Billy walks off stage, you hear this big crash. You hear all, this, all these things falling around and banging around. Um, and he, he screams off the, off the camera. He says, I'm all right. I'm all right. And what you don't know is that there was somebody pushing along a cart of, of movie reel cases, you know, the big metal cases that held the movie reels. And he was off stage, and he ran over a cord, and it fell and splattered all over thing. And Uncle Billy threw that in to make up to save the scene. So um, they actually won an award for the best sound effect for that. Here's one you probably ought to get. You're worth more dead than alive. Who said that? Yes, Mr. Potter. How about this one? Yeehaw. Sam. Sam Wainwright. And here's our last one. What are they, ducks? Who said that one? Ernie. Ernie, the taxi driver, said that one. All right, so that's enough fun. Done having fun for the morning. All right, I got to figure something out here so I can see my notes. Yeah, I'm checking Facebook. Anyone, why don't you pull out your phone and check in on Facebook while I'm doing my, my thing here? I wonder if it'll let me. 
I'm totally just making stuff up. I have no idea what I'm doing. All right, we'll do this. Long, awkward silence. Anybody feeling uncomfortable? This is weird. What's he doing? What's happening? I thought I had this cool, slick little system figured out. It's all right. Technology is saving me from the failure of my technology. So, um, <laughs> so um, before we get into the rest of the series, I want to stop and just welcome you. If you're new with us, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, we're 6-8 Church, and, and we are trying to be a church full of people, full of disciples, we call it, that do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And so if you want to help us out with that mission, you can actually fill out this card. And if you're a first-time visitor, if you fill it out and turn it into the offering, we will donate a pair of socks to Northwest Children's Outreach in your honor. So if you want to help us do some justice in the community, you can, you can fill, out that, fill out that card and turn it in. If you've been going here for a long time, it doesn't count. You have to be new. Um, but if you want to help us do a little bit of justice in the community, you can do that by filling out that card. But we, we are thrilled that you're here. Um, we love Christmas because we love what Christmas means. And Christmas is a great time of year when we get to celebrate God himself coming to earth and becoming one of his creation. He became just like one of us. And that's what we're going to be celebrating over the course of the series. But today, we're going to focus in on family. Now, um, there's a, there's a couple of good scenes in, in this movie about family, and there's, there's kind of the dream scene that kind of sets up at the beginning, and then there's kind of the real scene, and I want to start by showing you a clip from the movie that, uh, that has the dream scene. It's kind of like when the narrator is talking and everything is, is kind of off to its perfect little start. Here, here's the first one. Now you've probably already guessed that George never leaves Bedford Falls. No. Mary had her baby, a boy. Then she had another one, a girl. Day after day, she worked away remaking the old Granville house into a home. Night after night, George came back late from the office. So it's kind of this, you know, day after day, Mary worked to make the Granville house into a home, and night after night, George came home late from the office. And then later in the movie, we get to see what actually happens when George comes home from the office on a bad day. so 
Must you keep playing that? I have to practice it for the party tonight, Daddy. Mom said we could stay up till midnight and sing Christmas carols. Can you sing, Daddy? Better hurry and shave. The families will be here soon. Family? I, I don't want the families over here. Come on out in the kitchen with me while I finish dinner. Have a hectic day? Oh, yeah. Another big red-letter day for the Baileys. Daddy, the Browns next door have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burped. All right, tell me your excuse. Now go on upstairs and see if little Zuzu wants anything. Zuzu? Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Oh, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What is it, sore throat or what? Just the cold. The doctor says it's not The doctor? Serious. Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. He says nothing to worry Is she about. running at temperature? What is this? Just a teensy one. 99.6. She'll be all right. Of course, it's this old house. I, I don't know why we don't all have pneumonia. The drafty old barn of a place. Might well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, George. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell frankincense? I don't know. If I ask your mother. Where are you going? Going out to see Zeus. You told me to ride a plane for tomorrow. That's more like, that's, that's what it's like when I come home from work. Okay, not quite, but. Anybody ever come home from work like that? Anyone ever have someone come home from work feeling, uh, you just lost $8,000, gave it to the enemy accidentally, and, uh, and you find yourself all of a sudden in a very bad situation? Well, um, one thing, one thing I want to I want to get get out here right from the very beginning is that um, no family is perfect, and there is no such thing as a perfect family. We'll get into that in just a little bit, but but I don't want you to feel like there's some kind of pressure this morning to have a perfect family. That's that's not the goal of this of this talk. That's not the goal of of uh, of this message. What I, what I hope is that we can maybe take some steps in, in the right direction toward being a focused family. And and if you forget everything else that I say then I hope that you will remember this one thing, and that's this. If your family's future is unclear, focus your family on Jesus. I know it sounds really churchy, it sounds really simple, but uh, we'll get into it in just a little bit and make some sense of it. But if, you're, if your family's future is unclear, then focus your family on Jesus. It's like when you're looking at a picture and, or you're looking through the lens of a camera and you're wanting to take a picture and everything seems out of focus and, and you don't know what to focus on, then, then you focus your camera on the right thing. You tell your camera what to focus on and then everything else and the picture comes into place. And, and that's the same thing we want to have happen with our families. We, we, don't, want to just, we don't just want to look at anything and let whatever the, whatever the world throws at us be the thing that guides us, but, but we want to look at the right thing. Let me ask you a question. What is the one thing that pretty much all of the toys and gadgets and gizmos being advertised and sold for Christmas have in common? What's the one thing that everything you've seen on TV, all these commercials, all the things that you see happening on TV right now, what do they all have in common? What's the one thing that they have in common? What's that? Yeah, they only last to the first of the year. (laughs) Someone over here said something. What? Happy people. I think it'll make you happy. 
Any other guesses? What? Joy? Yeah, buying this is going to bring you joy. Well, uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that, that this, this, is a, this is a generalization. I'm not going to say that everything being sold for Christmas this year will do this. But, but here's one thing that I see. They pretty much divide the family, right? Pretty much everything that you could find on TV, everything that's being sold. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't go buy those things. Don't use technology for crying out loud. I'm using two things right now to make up for the failure of the one thing. But, but you know, I'm not saying that all this stuff is bad. But I'm saying if you look at the stuff, it's, it's kind of geared. As what it's kind of doing, maybe it's not intentional. But what is happening through all the things that we're getting, all the things that we're buying, is that, is that it's dividing the family. So, so you want to get your kids, you know, the, this game system, this game console. Maybe you want to get them a portable game console or an iPod Touch or an iPhone, and, and you want to get the new TV, the smart TV that gets you online. You can watch Netflix and listen to Pandora and do all those cool things. And so, so you do that, but then you want to get mom a new computer so she can go and, and play around on Facebook, and so she goes and hides up in the room on Facebook. And, and what's kind of happening is we're getting all of these, all of these toys, all of these things for, for Christmas, and that, that they're dividing our, our attention as a family. They're spreading our focus. And, and the one kind of ironic thing is that the parents are actually getting the same thing as the kids, but it's just a little bit bigger and a little bit more expensive, but they're all the same toys, just made in different sizes. But we feel like we have to get it, right? We feel like we have to have these things. We have to get these things because if we don't get it, then our kids are going to feel left out. Or if we don't get it, then we're not going to be able to brag to our friends about the cool thing that we got for Christmas. Or, or we're not going to be able to keep up with the Browns, you know, like we heard in the, in the show. You know, the Browns next door have a new car. What's wrong with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? So we spend our lives and we spend our time and we spend our energy investing in things that actually divert our focus. We're investing in things that kind of drive us apart instead of in things that bring us together. And I think this could be one of the things that's causing a problem for us with our families maybe in in this culture and in this society is that we live in a very divided society. I'm not saying we're divided, you know, by other lines that have divided us in the past. We're just just unfocused. We're just spread out. We're just going off in different directions. And so what I hope that you get out of this morning is that if your family's future is unclear, then, then focus your family on Jesus. So it may mean taking some of these things and stop focusing so much on, on these things that are out on the periphery and to start focusing on some of the things that are right in front of us that are the most important. We're going to go to Psalm 103 this morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we can get one for you. You can also use your phone. Uh, we, have the, we have Bibles out at the table in the back. As you walk out those doors, you could pick one up on your way out and take one home with you. If you don't have a Bible, it be our gift to you this morning. But uh, we encourage you to have a Bible, to kind of make it your own, read through it, take notes, and underline things that stick out to you, that, that uh, God reveals to you. But Psalm 103, we're going to spend our time there this morning. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What does this have to do with family? Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Sounds like a good, a good passage for worship, but I'm not sure that it has a lot to do with family so far. Let's keep going. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice 
for all the oppressed. Now, I wanted to throw that out, not because it has to do with family, but because it relates to us as a church, that that's what we want to do as a church. We want to be on the Lord's side and, and working righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. And so that's something we're, we're very passionate about as a church and seeing those things happen. Let's keep moving on. Verse 7. He made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. We're going to keep going, and I'll come back and go through this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The, the life of mortals is like grass. They, they flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. And we're going to go back and, and kind of point some things out here in verse 7. But we want to get to that point at the end where, 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 where we, are, we are being rewarded by God, where we, where we are being treated as treasures, where, where God is pouring out his blessings on us to, to us from the God who is everlasting to everlasting. We want his love to abound in our lives and his righteousness with our children's children, right? I don't know if any of you have kids or if you've had kids, and then that's something that I know that, that I want for our kids is that, is that what we do with our kids will be something that, that goes on from generation to generation. It'll go from our children to our children's children and to their children and to their children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. That's, you know, that's kind of where we want to get. We want to end up down there. We want to end up down the line where, where our children's children are being rewarded for the righteousness that we are living and building into their lives. But, but how do we get there? Well, I think we get there by going back to where we came from. And so I think that's kind of what's happening here in, the, in, in Psalm 103. The psalmist is pointing out kind of the, the, the trail that happens for, for remembering where you've come from to how to get to where you're going to. For those who have had a righteous upbringing, to those who have been, been raised in, in a righteous way, then, then you already kind of know these things. You already kind of know the way that you're supposed to live. You know the things that you're supposed to do, and it's easier to then implement them. Some of us have to make, make a major course correction and go from living the ways that our parents raised us, which may be ways of the world, which maybe go, go against the ways of God, and we have to make a course correction. And the course that we have to correct to, we have to make sure that we're correcting to the right course, not just any course that throws at us, not just anything that the world throws in our direction, not just just any device or, or any means that, that comes, in our, comes our way, but we want to go to the right path. We want to follow the right path. And so, so to know that, then, then we have to be familiar with the story of God. And so, so in Psalm 103, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Now, of course, in the big picture, he's talking about how, how God told Moses what his plans were, what he wanted Moses to do to bring the people of Israel out of slavery. But, but he also taught Moses a lot of other things. He taught Moses a lot about how to lead, about how to be a godly man, about how to be an example for the people that were following him. So for us as, as believers, for us, us who are following in the way of the faith, then, then we can look to Moses and see from his life things that we can apply to our life. 
And then we have this verse, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Now, yes, those verses have to do with being thankful for the grace that we have received. Those verses have to do with with being thankful and praising God for the fact that we do not get what our sins deserve. We don't get the punishment that we deserve because of our sins, but we get grace, and we get grace upon grace. And God does not repay us according to those things. He repays us according to the grace that his son showed to us. But, but look at those verses and then think about yourself because, because here in a few minutes we're going to get the example and the comparison of God to a father. So if, if God is comparing, or if the, the psalmist is comparing God to the father, then earlier in the passage we can, we can uh, uh, extrapolate some of the same ideas and some of the same applications. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Now you look at the life of Moses, you look at him for an example, but then, but then look at those things and just think if you started working on those things in your life, if you started working toward being compassionate, if we all started working toward being compassionate people, if we all started working toward being gracious people, if we were, if we were people who were slow to anger and abounding in love, if you just focused on those four things, if we as, as, a, as a community focused on those four things, wouldn't that make a great big difference in your family? Wouldn't that make a great big difference in, in the world that you live in? If we, if we were compassionate people, if we, if we were gracious people, if we were slow to anger and abounding in love, that we're not always out looking to accuse somebody, we're not harboring anger against wrongs that have been done to us forever, we don't hold those things tightly and never let go of them. We, we don't treat other people like maybe they deserve to be treated because they've been, they've been mean to us or they've, been, they've wronged us in some way. We, we don't treat them that way, but, but we treat them with grace and we don't repay them according to the things that they deserve. We treat them as God treats us. That's the way we should go. That's the way we should walk in our families. And, and then take that very, that very idea and apply it to your family life. Take that very If you're compassionate at home, if you're gracious at home, if you were <laughs> slow to anger at home, abounding in love at home, if you weren't always accusing at home, if you didn't harbor anger at home, how different would your family look? Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now the reason I wanted to stop on that passage and point it out for just a minute is because this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly what I want us to think about today. This is exactly where I hope that we can go. Because, because look at this passage. Look at, look at, the, look at the way that, that God is described here. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. For, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west... Now, we're not talking Eastern culture and Western culture. We're talking the East and going East as far as you can go until you get to the West. You'd never get there. As far as the East is from the West, so far has he removed our transgressions 
from us. We have this great big God. We have this God who, who is the God of the universe, the God who has created the solar system that we live in. He created the solar system to function in this way where you have the sun that's in the center of the universe or the center of our solar system. And then you have these other things that revolve around that are called planets, right? And we live on the third rock from the sun. And, um, and that's called the earth. Anyone, anyone know where I'm, I'm talking about? Anyone been there? Remember ninth grade science? And so, so we're kind of rotating around the sun, and, and the sun, as gravity is, is holding us in, and the sun can protect us from things like comets. And we have a friend who, who's been obsessed with this comet that was flying through the solar system, and he thought it got sucked into the sun, but then it made its way through, and it's going around the sun again. So you know, we got this great big thing called the sun that, that holds everything in it in orbit, Right? Holds everything, and we have the same thing that happens here with the earth. We have, we have the earth, and we have a moon, right? That The moon is held in orbit around the earth. We have all these satellites now that are most of them held in orbit. Some of them are falling to the earth and crashing through people's houses, but, but most of them are, are held in orbit around, around the earth and doing things like providing, providing a GPS service for us and, and letting the government spy on you. And uh, the NSA tap into your phones and things like that. But, but most of them are doing great things and guiding us across the planet and, and helping us out. But, but we have this thing that we understand about life called gravity. We have this thing that we understand about how the world works called gravity. And when you focus your life around the right thing, when the right thing is pulling you in, when the right thing is, is the thing that you're centered around, then, then it seems like everything else just kind of falls into place because that's the way the universe was created. Now... What happens in a lot of our families is, is we start focusing on these other things, right? We focus on keeping up with the Browns and wanting to get a new car because the Browns next door got a new car. We want to get, we want to get all of the devices. We want our kids to be the most competitive in soccer and t-ball and baseball and football. We want our kids to get the best grades and, and be able to, to be at the top of their class. And so we let all of these other things be the things that become the focus for us. And we find ourselves being spread out in a thousand different directions, going after a thousand different things, chasing a thousand different dreams and a thousand different people's vision for your family instead of as a family focusing in on the one thing. Now see, if we focus in on the one thing, we're focusing in on the only thing that has the ability to pull us all together. The only thing that has the ability to pull us in to orbit. The only thing that has the ability to pull us in to be able to go in the right direction. And that's why I wanted to point out this verse. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. We'll, we'll kind of get back to this idea in just a minute. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust, the, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. If we model just a few of the characteristics of God, if we, if we, just, if we just made an effort to be compassionate, quick to love, slow to anger, and have compassion on our children, on our spouse, on our parents, on our families, on our neighbors, on, on our friends, what a difference that would make. Why should we do that? Well, he knows how we were formed. The God of the universe knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. 
That we are like the grass of the field, that, that they flourish like the flower in the field, and the wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. Grass sprouts up, winter comes, it dies off. Flowers spring up, winter comes, they die off. We are here but a short time. What should we focus on? Should we focus on the ground around us? Should we focus on the flower next to us and try to make ourselves as a flower look like the flower next to us? Should we try to make ourselves as a flower look like the grass that surrounds us? Should we focus on the tree that's over there and try to compare ourselves to the tree and, and make, make ourselves like a tree even though we're a flower? God knows how we were formed. He knows how he created each and every one of us and what he intended for us to be as his creation. We should look at him. We should focus to him. We should lean into him and let him be the thing that drives who we are. We should let him be the thing that drives the kind of person that we are. Because from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his, in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. See, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. The Lord has established his throne as creator of all the universes. The Lord has established himself as the beginning and the end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He's from as far as you can remember back to as far as you could ever imagine forward. He, he is God. He is the one who rules over all. And he is the one who is worthy not only of our praise, but our focus and our attention. And when we focus our lives and our families' lives around him, when we try to model our life after the lives that he has put in the Bible for us to model our lives after, then we have the option, we have the chance to be partnering up and teaming up with the God of the universe. We can make our lives revolve around the right thing instead of revolving around all the other things. It's really simple, but it's really hard. It's really simple to get the idea, yes, okay, that, okay. so let's just assume that, that, this, that, that he's right about all this stuff, that God did create the universe. Let's assume that that's right. Let's just assume, just for fun, that, that he is the thing that, that controls everything, that he understands how everything was made. Let's just assume that for now. You may not believe that, and that's okay. And we can talk about that if you have questions about that or you want to debate me about that, whatever. But, um, but uh, let's just assume that that's right, that God created everything, that he knows how everything was created. And, and so if you want your life to be correct to, to function and to go forward in the way that, that God wants it to go forward, then it makes sense to orient your life around God, right? It makes sense that, that if you want your life to be focused on the right thing, then all you have to do is focus on the right thing. But then, but then we live in the society of distraction, right? We live in the society and a culture and a time when, when there are a thousand different things grasping for our attention, It's easy to say, it's hard to do. So let's look at, uh, let's look at this for a minute. What are five, uh, some things, some misconceptions, five misconceptions about family I want to point out as we move on. One, that family is perfect. 
You've all looked at a family from the outside. You've all kind of looked out through the windows. You see them, you know, like, at, like in Home Alone when, when Kevin is missing his family and he's walking down the street right before he goes and messes up his parents' house and then miraculously gets it all back together that night and cleans up everything all by himself. I don't know how he did that. But, but he's, he's walking down the street and he's missing his family and he sees the picture window, right, with, with the family sitting in there having their Christmas Eve dinner and everything just looks perfect. And from the outside, it looks like that family is perfect, Here's something that I hope is encouraging. For one, my family's not perfect. It's very imperfect. That's because I am the father, so it's going to be very imperfect. But there is no perfect family. In fact, even if you look throughout the Bible, the Bible is full of stories of imperfect families. I want to give you one example. Noah, right? Noah and the ark. Everyone knows Noah? Well, so, so Noah... You know, save the world, save the entire human race because he was faithful to God and spent 120 years building this ark and then they floated around this ark with, with all the animals. But then, you know, after it's all done, Noah decides to plant a vineyard and grow some grapes and he makes some wine and then later that night, Noah gets drunk and passes out in his tent. Noah wasn't perfect. Lot, Abraham's brother, he wasn't perfect um, and neither was his family. Um, maybe I'll just save that story and let you go read that for yourself. But you should go look up what happened to Lot after, uh, after he fled, after, uh, after his town that he was living in was destroyed. You can go see what happened there. It's a very, uh, very interesting story. But there isn't even a perfect family in the Bible. There's no description of a perfect family. So, so there, that's a myth. There is no perfect family. That family's not perfect. That family's not perfect. That family's not perfect. There is no perfect family. It's a myth. Misconception. Misconception number two, family is easy. Now, um, this, this was great. Um, you know, my wife and I, when we, before we had kids, we could look in on some of our friends who had kids. That, well, man, what is their problem? I mean, why don't they, they never go out and do anything. They never hang out with anybody. They, they just, they just kind of sit in their house all the time and watch their kid, and they goo, and they go, and they drool, and, and all over their kid, and just, you know, what is their problem? And it's like, when we have kids, we'll just go out, and we're going to do whatever we want. I mean, we're not going to let our kids stop us from doing whatever whatever we want to do, and now we have kids, and we don't leave the house. <laughs> it's because family isn't easy. It's hard. It's a challenge. It's, it doesn't just come naturally. It's a, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle to always be be parent. You know, it's just like sometimes you just want to, you want to not be parent for a while. Sometimes you just want to not be in charge for a while. You just want to, you just want to be able to relax, but, but you've got kids who, if you aren't parent, won't eat. And, and if they, uh, that's not true for me because I never cook, but that's my wife's responsibility. You know, so if our, if my wife ever decides to stop being mom, then our kids will go hungry or, or eat a lot of McDonald's. But, um, it's not easy. It's a myth that family is easy. Here's another myth. It's too late to change. We've been doing it this way for too long. There's no way we can fix things now. It's impossible for us to get to where we need to be because look at where we are. Look at how messed up we are. Well, here's the thing you need to know. You can change. You can change your family, and it starts by you trying to change yourself. You work on yourself and making yourself the kind of father or mother or brother or sister or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa, whatever, whatever kind of person you want to be. And you start by changing yourself and then you can help lead your family to change. But you can change and your family can change. But if your family is heading for disaster and you don't change anything, you want to know where you'll end up? Disaster. 
If, you're, if, you, if it looks like your family's future is unclear and it looks like there's a disaster coming your way and it looks like everything is about to fall apart and you keep going down the road where it looks like everything is about to fall apart, chances are if it looks like it's going to fall apart and you don't change anything, it's going to fall apart, right? So if you want your family to change, you have to change and you have to have the courage to start making changes in your family. It might not go over well. The changes you want to make may be very hard, may be very challenging to put into place. It may be a very, a very difficult thing to make those changes in your family, but you have to have the courage to step up. Somebody has to step up and make the changes or nothing will happen and you'll end up in disaster. Start making the changes. Little changes, little course corrections over time can make a big difference. It's like when you're steering a ship, you can just change the, change the direction by one degree, go one degree north, one degree south, and it doesn't look like it's making any difference right now, but if you take that one degree change over a long period of time, you'll end up in an entirely different destination. Number four, misconception about family. Love is only hugs and kisses. We have this idea that, that to be a loving parent, to be a loving father or be a loving mother, that we can only be hugs and kisses. We can only pat on the back. We can only encourage our kids. And I, I have seen this so many times that the, the parents don't want to discipline their kids. And if you want to do an interesting study, go to BibleStudyTools.com, look up the word discipline, and go through all the passages in the Bible where it talks about fathers disciplining their kids and, and, and how discipline is, is something that is not to be despised, not something that's not supposed to be rejected. We are supposed to actually encourage and love discipline. Love isn't just hugs and kisses. Love is, love is also discipline and correction. And in fact, it could, you could even argue that it's a more loving thing to discipline and correct because it's harder to do and it's going to make a bigger impact in the long run. And here's the last one. Good families just happen. Good families, they just happen. Nobody does anything. We're going from misconceptions to, to things that will help your family. Let's look at three things real quick, and we're going to be wrapping up in just a minute. Three things that will help your family focus. One, be the parent, not the friend. Be the parent, not the friend. There may come a day when you get to be friends with your kid, but for now you're the parent if they're little. As they get older, then, then you can be the friend, but that doesn't mean there aren't times when you still have to be a parent and, and call your kid on their crap and correct them. But, but you need to be the parent, not the friend. Be the parent, not the friend. Number two, love and respect. There's a book called Love and Respect. It's, it's about marriage. It's helping, helping couples love and respect. But, but it goes a long way in the family to love and respect one another. You, you unconditionally love one another and, and you respect one another. That, that, you, that you serve one another in love and you respect one another as you serve together. And third, serve. Serve your family. Serve your family, especially if you're wanting to make changes. You walk in the door of your house after today, step in. We're going to be making some changes in here. Everybody's going to do what I say. It's not going to go real well, but if you walk in and, 
and you start serving your family. You walk in and start serving your family. You, know, you, you do the dishes. You do the laundry. You go and, and you take care of the kids when they're sick. Or you go and you do something that requires you to serve your family. You're going to be paving the way for the change that you want to make in your family. If your family's future is unclear, focus your family on Jesus. If your family's future is unclear, focus your family on Jesus. As we wrap up, I just kind of want to leave you with this. I hope you haven't felt like just a, a lot of correction, a lot of, a lot of things to do to go home and work on this and work on that. I would encourage you to go home and read through Psalm 103 three or four or five times and, and just kind of let the, let the truth of that passage sink in and, and follow the examples that are, that are in there. But, but I hope you can leave this morning with this, that no matter what has been, in your family's past, no matter what the story of your family is up until now, no matter, no matter what road you have come from, the future of your family can be very bright. No matter how dark, no matter how dangerous, no matter how disastrous the story has been, the future of your family can be very, very bright. The, the future of what you want your family to look like can be, can be night and day from what it was. It's not going to just happen. It's not, it's not like if you just, okay, we're going to go home, we're going to change anything, but you don't do anything. You don't have the courage to make the changes. Nothing's going to change. But let's say you go home, you have the courage, you decide you're going to serve your family in love, you're going to love each other unconditionally, you are going to, you're going to serve one another, and, and then you start making these minor course corrections. The future of your family can be very bright. It won't be bright if you don't change anything or if you decide that the change that you want to make is to focus on the wrong thing. But if you do make those changes, then the dream that you have for your family, the, the, the dream that you have in your mind, see, see, this is kind of the dream that I have in mind for our family. It's, it's a little bit small for us, but this is the dream that I have in mind for our family, that, that someday when, when we are old, the kids have, have all grown up and started families of their own, that we would have a spot, we'd have a table in our house, that we'd have a, a dining room big enough to have a table where we could have the table you know, maybe even spread the length of the stage, and we could have all of our kids and their kids and our, and our family all come and sit together for Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and whatever holiday it is. You know, just we can all come and gather around this table, and we can all see how God has been working in our family. And that's, that's the dream for me. That's, that's the dream. We also, uh, my wife and I were talking. She reminded me, one of the other dreams we have is that when our kids grow up, we want our kids to be friends. We want them to, to be able to call their brothers and their sisters friends. And, and for that to happen, we have to facilitate certain things in the house so that they become those friends that, that they can rely on one another and trust in one another. But, but that's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen if we aren't intentional. But if we, if we are intentional as parents in our family, we're doing whatever we can to, to kind of go after that, to be, to be able to make sure that our family is always centered on Jesus, and it's always centered on, on the work that Jesus did for our family, because grace isn't just for individuals. It's for families and communities, too. And, and, and as we focus on that grace that Jesus poured out for our family, then, then the chances of our family ending up in the right place are a lot better. But wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be just astounding if we as a community, is this, just this little community that we have here of, of 100 people, if we just decided we're going to start working on our families? We're no longer just going to let our family happen. We're not just going let to it, let it come when whatever happens is what happens. We're not just going to go home and let our families 
just give it to us all week long. But we are going to go home and we're going to be intentional about the kind of family that we're creating. Wouldn't that be, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, we have to go home and fix all of our families because we're not going to go home and fix all of our families because we are imperfect people and our families will always be imperfect until we die. But, but what if we just started making minor course corrections and getting our families on track and then, and then people started noticing, hey, hey, your family used to look like it was out of control, but now, you know, it looks like, like things are coming together. What are you doing? And people started asking us questions. What, what are you doing to bring your family together? But here's what can happen. We can't let other people, we can't let the world, we can't let the culture, we can't let someone outside of Christ decide the vision and the future for our family. We have to decide it. We have to determine it based on what we know of God and what we want to see happen for our family because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. We have to decide it. We have to keep that in focus. We have to keep that in mind. We have to go after that with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul and our strength. And it would be amazing if we were able to raise up families in this community that can make, and make a big difference in the life of this community and people start asking us what's happening. And it all starts by focusing your family on Jesus. Let's all stand together. The band's going to come. We're going to close. As you stand, let's, let's bow our heads together. Let's close our eyes. Take just a minute and focus in on, on Jesus. I don't want to assume that just because we talked about Jesus, everyone understands what that means. That you've heard about Jesus and know what Jesus did. But if you're going to start with focusing your family on Jesus, then you too need to focus on Jesus. Your life has to revolve around him and his work and his life so your family can revolve around it. So if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never trusted him as your Savior for the first time, then all you need to know to take that step to move in that direction is, is to admit that you're a sinner, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. To believe that Jesus Christ came, paid the price for our sins, the price that we should have paid for our sins. He paid that price for us, rose from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave. Believe in that atoning work of Jesus Christ and then commit your life to following him. Because Jesus loved you enough that, that on Christmas so many years ago, he came and was born as a man. He came and was born as, as a baby, a fragile baby, whose life could have been snuffed out at any moment. And, and he walked through all the pains. He walked through all of the, the same things that we walked through because he loved us. Because he unconditionally loves you. He died. So if you're here this morning and, and you've never put your faith in that Savior, someone who loved you enough to come and, and die a painful, humiliating, executionary death on a cross, 
Maybe today is that chance. Maybe today is the time you need to focus in on Jesus and put your life in his hands and see what he, the God of the universe, can do with it. And if you're here and you would, you would say that, if you would, if you would recognize that, that you need a Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to respond right now. You can just... When I count to three, raise your hand. It'll be between you and me. And we can start taking a journey together where you follow Jesus. So if that's you, you'd say, that's me. I need a Savior. Would you respond? One. stop. I want all of us to pray this prayer together. We start this journey together today. Everyone in the room, let's pray this prayer out loud with confidence. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I thank you for sending your Son to die in my place to give me grace. Now, Father, I put my faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the work he did for me on the cross. And I commit my life to following him this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you, and you need... You need some help. You need Jesus to be the center of your life. You need Jesus to be the center of your family. I just want to pray for you. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, if you want to raise your hand, if you would like me to say a prayer for you this morning, everyone, raise your hands. One, two, three. I want to offer a prayer for all the hands that have just gone up. Father, I thank you for these people, for the commitment they want to make to, to being a family, to being a person whose life is focused on Jesus. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in them, the Spirit of God who who lives in each and every one of us who follow after Jesus Christ and call him our Savior. I pray that by that Spirit, the same Spirit who is the God of Moses, the same Spirit who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and who has been leading families for thousands and thousands of years, that, that through the power of that presence of God living in us, that you would help us to go from this place and to focus our families and to focus our lives on your Son, Jesus Christ, to focus everything about our life around who you are and what you've done, not on society, not on culture, not on keeping up with anything, but on focusing our lives on the grace of Jesus Christ and seeing what God can do with our family. Father, when we get out of these doors and we forget these things that we've talked about this morning, when we wake up tomorrow morning and get back into the crazy routine, the crazy habits, the crazy patterns that we have to go through in this coming week, I pray that you would remind us to keep Jesus the center, to keep Jesus the focus doing and that our life song, that our life would be about this God who is from everlasting to everlasting. The God who has been shining his light from generation to generation, whose light can shine in our lives, whose light can shine in any life that calls him Lord. So we call you Lord this morning. I call you Lord. I call you my Savior, and I thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision, if you 
prayed either of those prayers and we can continue to pray for you, I'd encourage you to put that on your connection card and put that in the offering here in just a few minutes when we take the offering. But, but don't just walk out of here today and go back to life like it was, but commit to making Jesus the focus of your life.